Now, I don't know if to tell you that this is a complicated verse. You have the, also the double usage of and So obviously the Yinachem is something which should be paid attention to, but we won't. I'm just saying. The beginning of the verse, which means the stated facts, and then the interpretation and the application of the facts, is something which I think is somewhat counterintuitive, and the implications of which are going to take us very, very far. That I'm already warning you now. Because what does it say? That when Paro sent the people out, God doesn't allow them to go derech eretz plishtim because it's too close. Normally we would say, well, let's take a look and at the best, at the closest way, and that's the way to travel. So if I had in back of me a map, a map of the land of Israel, and for that matter, a map of uh, of Egypt and Egypt connecting to Israel. I hope all of you understand how much wiser it would have been to go, travel up the coast. You travel up the coast, you probably would have fish all along the way that, that you have access to. I also strongly suspect, and I'm saying this just as a kid who grew up in Brooklyn who knows nothing about reality, but uh, I assume that that various water sources flow to right, all streams flow to the ocean, to the sea, right? I mean, I mean, there is such a thing. So I would assume that at various places there's going to be fresh water as well, because it's all the fresh water which is then flows to the sea. So even though you're going to tell me, oh, you can't drink the seawater, but I would also assume that there should have been various water sources all along the way, and therefore it seems to be a little bit wiser to travel that way as opposed to traveling through the desert, where you're going to have much less of these types of uh, resources. So be here to say it's not just right it's not just kikarovu it's not just that it's closer it probably would have been a much nicer teal some of you like the the desert some of you like to hang out over there i mean till today there are people go to vacation of the sinai even though the security warnings about it all the time but it could be about the availability of certain narcotics which are there <laughs> and i know i was a mistake saying this because none of you are going to be here next week now <laughs> you guys can go on a quote-unquote class trip, <laughs> yes. It really is, as I said again, somewhat counterintuitive that this is the way to go. And it's one of the things that we should probably pay more attention to as one tries to learn Tanakh, and that is the interaction between the actual narrative and then the geography and the topography and the, and the actual roads that existed at that point, the travel way that would have or could have been and I think that for the most part, we're completely oblivious of this. And we just read a story. Oh, you know, you know that, don't go this way, go that way. So essentially, the traveling up of Derech Eretz Plishtim could have been something which is very compelling for many reasons. And, and, and now, on top of everything else, and it's much shorter. So apparently, there is something which is part of the divine plan, which means now we really, it's better to go this way. And I want to point out one other very obvious problem with this. And that is that when Moshe was at the burning bush, now this is going to be the difference between a Shemot perspective, Shemot Bamidbar perspective, as opposed to a Bereshit perspective. Bereshit perspective is that God promises the land of Israel to the Avot various times. At, at, at some point, Avraham is told, well, listen, there's a catch, and the catch is you have to go down to Egypt, and you have to be enslaved, and then you're going to be free, and then you're going to come to the land of Israel. There's one thing that was never in the brochure, and that was going through the desert. For that matter, what was never through the brochure was going through Sinai. It wasn't until we get to the burning bush that we learn about our dual destinations, 
And then, again, God says, I'm God, and, and so on, and your forefathers, and so on, and there's a covenant, and so on, and the land of Israel, and so on. And, you, and I heard their cry, I heard the screaming, and take them out, and take them to the land of flows of milk and honey, and so on, and so forth. And all that's clear. And then, along the, oh yeah, and by the way, when you get out, you're going to come and serve God on this mountain. Now, right there, I want to pause for a moment. That, you're going to serve God on this mountain, and that's very amorphous. What that means, you're going to serve God on this mountain, which means... Can you imagine? Okay, so first of all, we have our first bait and switch, you know, land of Israel going up the coast and that went very quick. And instead, what we get is we get to travel through the desert and get to this place, Sinai. You're going to serve God at this mountain, Chorev. And then the other thing is, is that we were not told serve God should have meant, okay, so we'll bring a, a korban. Maybe even I would have imagined, and I think I may have touched this last week at some point, maybe the korban Pesach should have been that. I mean, they go to Paramol. Can we go out, travel for three days and serve God? Okay, so maybe that would have been the whole thing. Serve God, bring a korban, maybe even uh, drink some wine, maybe have a party, maybe uh, play some tambourines or whatever else they have. We saw they pulled out the tambourines, which means that there is, you know, there's certain ways of serving God that didn't include, here's our second bait and switch, didn't include 10 commandments, which then somehow morphs into 613 commandments and counting. And you say, hold it, you know, how did we get here? And when I say here, it's both in terms of this particular destination and in terms of this religious obligations that we did not know. We just thought we're going to be slaves and then we get out. And yeah, the slavery, as we also discussed last week, somehow turns into a whole bunch of mitzvot, somehow grow from the slavery, and now you can't treat people, and you remember you were slaves, and so on, and that just keeps on growing. And you, I hope now you realize that there is an educational plan which is taking place. You don't like the word education, that's fine, right? If you rather use the word, there is a divine plan which is taking place. Now, part of the divine plan is not to go the shorter route. And there is, but, but I'm, but I'm going to say it again, based upon the conversation that took place by the burning bush, taking this shorter route is absolutely impossible because he needed to come back and serve God on that mountain. And that serving God on that mountain doesn't include taking the shorter route. So therefore, even though God is sharing with us over here, divine thought, he's not necessarily telling us the whole story because there is something else which needs to take place. And I'm going to go back now and say it again. I don't know as of this point, maybe next week you'll know, I don't know as of this point what it means to serve God on this mountain. And that's all that was told so far. Maybe, maybe, and now I'm I'm stretching it a little bit. Maybe just like Moshe had a micro-revelation at Sinai, there's going to be a macro revelation, but a macro revelation still doesn't necessarily tell us, you know, we're going to get to where we eventually get to. So now, now, now let's read a little bit more. So if you miss, if you miss that, if you miss that point, when Moshe gets there, it says he gets to a place that's called Har Elokim Chorev. Later on, this place is going to be described. Chorev will be described as Har Sinai. So. If you never heard this till now, I want you to go downstairs at the end of the class and ask for all your money back from all the shurim that you've gone to over the years. I per- I personally think you have a class action suit right here, and I think there's I, I think I, I think that there's a lot of money to be made right here. Let me do this, okay? <laughs> I'm now I'm gonna now I'm gonna tell you a secret. If you're if you work intrigued that Sinai showed up before it did. But do you realize that Sinai shows up in this week's Parsha as well? 
So just hold off on that because that's the interesting thing. So just just wait, just wait, and and agreeing with me is always the right thing to do. So yes is good. So let let me let let me let me. Okay. So vayasev elokimah ta'am derech hamidbar yamsufam chamushim alu bnei yisrael meiratzrayim and God takes them around this other way and chamushim I know for all of you who are the eighty twenty percenters that uh, I mean chamushim actually does mean that they were armed. They were armed, although with very primitive arms. So I'm just going to point out something else which very much concerns me. And, and, and this is going to be a subtext of everything today. That the first issue was apparently a consideration of the future. I can't take them this way because that could work out to be something which is very bad. And therefore, and again, future... And now you have Moshe taking consideration of something from the past, promise from the past. Even though, I'm going to say it again, I could have said, I'm not going to go this way because there was a promise of the past that you have to serve God on this mountain. So most of this parsha is going to deal with issues of the future and some things which we are not, you know, prepared for. I'll put it like this. And I think there are implications. But just to set up to understand the implications, I want to say one thing that for those of you who are, for the lack of a better word, we can say uh, yucky in spirit, which means very exacting, and you make your plans, and then you follow those plans precisely, and everything works out as exactly as you planned. Now, as some of you realize, most of life does not work that way. And once there's a deviation from the plan in any way, so that can set all kinds of things into motion which are not necessarily anticipated. So therefore, if we're going to take the longer route, the first thing is going to presumably take more time. Now, some of us know, and this is cheating a little bit, some of us know that it's going to take them, instead of, you know, weeks, the Ramban at one point says that it should have taken maybe, he's not talking about this, he's talking about Yosef sending a message to his father, and the Ramban was in Eretz Yisrael, he said, you know, two weeks maybe is, is the time travel in those days what it could have taken. Why, why not spend those two weeks? And then the Ramban goes wherever he goes. So I'll take the Ramban's two weeks in terms of, uh, of traveling. I think that gives you time. It's, it's not too much, not too little. So presumably they're two weeks. Later on, the Torah will say, you were 10 days or 11 days from this, which means we're dealing with days, we're not dealing with years, but we all know, as I said, it's not fair, we all know that it's actually going to be 40 years are going to take place. Now again, second surprise in this week's Parsha, those 40 years are mentioned in the Parsha. Now, you're going to say, like, what? They're mentioned? Yeah, they're mentioned in the Parsha. So I'm going to say it again. There, some things are being set in motion right over here that we don't necessarily realize. Now, 40 years are going to go by, which I know we don't know yet. That means that certain people are not going to make it, which means that the, the, the way the world works is that some of the elderly are going to pass away and there will be certain issues and there will be the rebellions and there's going, there's going to be dysfunctionality. That means that right now, saying, oh, we're going to take a delay, it means this is not going to work out the same way. Or there's going to be collateral damage based upon this. That, that, that's really what we need. And, and, and maybe for us, the most striking collateral damage, maybe not, maybe not, we could debate this, is that Moshe, who's being told, okay, you're going to go this way around, and the next Pasuk, I'm going to come back to Moshe in a second, but Yikach Moshe, that's Moshe Moshe goes, and that's again a promise for the past, from the past. Because Yosef made this 
made this vow. So therefore, this promise to the past, Moshe takes it, but we don't realize right now that Moshe is not going to be part of the future, which means presumably if that trip is in a couple of days, so then Moshe leads them, again, triumphantly into the land of Israel, and that's the culmination of leaving Egypt. And over here, okay, we can take a little detour, but that little detour, again, the collateral damage from that detour is just going to be the whole generation actually is going to disappear. And Moshe, as part of that generation, is going to disappear. And all of the heroes till this point in Moshe, and Aaron and Miriam and so on, they're, they're all not going to be with us. And, and ironically, the only one who will be is Yosef's remains is the only thing which goes on with them while everything else doesn't. And that itself is really interesting because all of this we're getting out of what happens right over here. And it just has to do, okay, are we, making, are we going right? We're going left. And going left was the shorter way. We're going to go, let's take a right. Okay, do you realize what taking that right means? And, uh, you know, it's like Gilligan's Island, a three-hour tour, right? A three-hour tour. But it, <laughs> but, but it turns out to be far more than that. So, uh, again, we are right here at the very beginning. And then we're told one more thing to start it out, which I think is really important. They travel right to, from Sukkot and so on in the Pasuk of Aleph. V'Hashem holech lefnehem yomam b'amud anan l'nochotam haderech v'layla b'amud eish la'ir lahem lechet yomam v'layla lo yimish anan and so on and so forth. God is there guiding them, which means that they have this divine light telling them this is the path that you take. Just in case you weren't sure, do we go right and go left? Oh no, no, you're going right, and there's God is leading them right. But leading them right, I'll say it again has all of these implications and ramifications that we're not imagining right now, and therefore you wonder, hold it, why didn't God take us to the shorter way? Now, there, there is an important discussion found in the Beit HaLevi, which we're not going to have. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about it, because we didn't bring it here, and there's too much other things to do, is that he believes that the longer way now is the price to be paid, for the shorter stay in Egypt than it was supposed to be, is that you always, there's no such thing as, uh, as shortcuts, which means the shortcut has a, has a price to it. So therefore, they can't take the shorter path because they took the shorter path in Egypt, and now they're going to actually have to make up some of that, which means if they're supposed to be in Galut a certain amount of time, and he'll go on to then talk about future Goliath and so on, is that, and again, following this Kabbalistic idea that they, that they went to the 49th level of Tuman, they couldn't stay even one moment longer. Okay, you can't stay longer, but there's still a price to be paid, and that's going to come later on, and therefore there's this really frightening understanding of, of what's taking place over here is that there is some kind of uh, divine understanding of what is needed and we're not actually ready. That's part of really what it states. We're not ready to go to the land of Israel yet because something goes bad then and we start thinking, hold it, if they're not ready then. The Beit HaLevi, Rabbi Yosef Dov Salavechik, Rabbi Salavechik's great-grandfather and namesake, or he was named for him. Okay, so now let's continue. Source number two is the Datsakenami Baliatosvot, Kikarovhu, Klomar, which means Ha'am Karov Shilakodishbarhu. Kikarovhu, instead of saying, Oh no, this was the closer path, you know, no, no, no. It's that the people are close to God. He got he he has this dangling Kikarov and he attacks it. Oh no, the people are close to God, and therefore God wants to take them in, in this way. And and by the way, there there are important lessons to be learned which will be taking place over here. And that's really what you need to pay attention as you read through Bishalach. You know, as much as Sefer Bamidbar is a narrative with laws thrown in, in the middle, over here, it's very similar. 
Bishalach is very Bamidbar-like in the sense that you have a narrative and then you have some kind of things happening and there is a, a message and something learning and Torah to be learned along the way. But let's continue. Which means that because God is close to the Jewish people, he's not taking them in this normative way. And a couple lines later, Amaharav David Zikno Shalharav Moshe. By the way, I don't know who that is. The, 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 this is like in the Baliatos vote. So I searched a little bit, and I have a couple of possibilities who the Moshe could be over here and who this David is. I'm not. Com- this is someone from the school of Tosfot. There again, I found a couple of Moshes, but I'm not. I'm not convinced. I know who this is. She eretz plishtim eretz Yisrael haita. Now that's a whole point which could be debated. The Gaza Strip, by the way. So that's just such an interesting comment, again, from somebody living at the time. And then he continues, now that's, that is exactly what I was saying from the Beit HaLevi. Just because he, t- he says, 400 years, but if we're not up to the right time yet, then you can't go and take the land yet. Which means it's still their land because the time isn't up on their lease. So therefore you need to wander around. Anyway, by the way, easier thing for him to say, the 400 years isn't up. That would have been the easier thing to say. So therefore we have to kill the time until the lease is up and we can go and take the land. And then look what he says at the bottom. This is actually, uh, I only included this so that I can show this to my wife later. Way to Shabbos. They said, oh, now the time's up, and now they're going to take. By the way, that would actually mean that they also have this uh, prophecy and that they've received it and they understand it and they've internalized it and they believe it and so on and so forth. He goes, but now we're going to lose our land. So what did they do? They went and they destroyed everything that was built within it. But I promise that I'm going to give to Avram, I'm going to give him a land full of good things. So I'm going to hold them for 40 years so they can fix everything up again. Like they're, going to, they're going to say, okay, we're going to, get, so therefore they can get a land which is actually, uh, those of you who don't remember, there is this great teaching over your Machloket Rashi and, and the Rambam, exactly what you do with it. And that is that, that you, when you enter the land, you can take the kol tub, you can take all the good. And it says, including the pork chops that you find in the fridge. You can you can cook those as well. They were kosher on a one according to Rashi. They were kosher on a one time level that everything in those houses you can take, and that <laughs> conquest is better than you thought, right? That you can go to, and, and that's part of this. I promised everything good, and you can take everything you find. You can't order more, right? You can't have a standing order, but anything you find in those homes that you go and you conquer are uh, are yours, and just now became kosher. So that. I don't know what it does to your pots or pans. Don't go there. Don't even think about this. Okay? <laughs> That's part of this uh, Datsakanum. Let, let us move on. As we get to the next chapter, what we're, we're going to have over here, I'm not, I, I'm not interested right now in reading every word and reading every, every line, but what I do want to note, again, along the way, is one concept, and that is God consciousness. 
which means to what extent are these people having their faith in God and to what extent are, are they not? And that's actually the thing which runs throughout the entire par- Parsha. It, it's the God consciousness which is over here, and that's what I want you to look at as we read. And the Bereshim and Moshe Limar, and God says to Moshe, to Beryl Ben Israel, and tell them. And this is where you're going to travel, and this and this way. And by the way, the way they're traveling is, tra- is problematic because they're about to go through a peninsula and essentially be stuck because they'll have water all around them and now it's a dead end and there's no place for them to get out. So essentially what God just says, tell them that's where I want you to go. I want you to go in a place, essentially you're going to draw the enemy in here because something surprising is going to happen, he, which he doesn't tell them what it is. Essentially he just now told them to go into this peninsula and you're going to be stuck. You're going to have no way out. And then Paro is going to say, oh look, look how confused they are because they just messed up Sagar Aleim Hamidbar, right? And now they're completely stuck. And this is just a trap. So God says to Moshe, tell the Jewish people, this is the plan. This is what we're doing. Which, which means over here, as much as the other part, Derech Eretz Hashem, I don't know if there's communication there. There it says what God is thinking and what he tells. I don't, I don't know what was handed down. We're not going there, Eretz Blishtim, we're going this way. I don't know if that's ever communicated until the Torah is written. On the other hand, over here, he, God shares, this is the plan. This is what's taking place. And then, the Paro finds out the people have run away. Those of you who are wondering, did they just really send them, when Paro sent them, did he send him for just the three days to serve, or did they send them free? Over here, Paro admits, what did we do that we set them free? So just in case you're thinking that there, we may have asked for three days, but they just said, go. You know, we, we don't want you anymore. We're in source three. And then he goes and takes all of his frightening chariots. So now, they're chasing along the way. They're going to catch up exactly by this place that God said, by this place, by the Pichirot, Baltzafon. Now, that, that's the part that you have to now question. Now, I, I understand why they should be frightened. Why should they be frightened? Because it sounds like a military conflict is about to take place. Why nonetheless should they not be? And it's very easy for me to say sitting here. Why should they nonetheless not be frightened? Because God said, this is exactly what we're doing. Here's the plan. This is what we're doing. That's really important. So when I speak about the God consciousness, so you could say that there's some, a really interesting dynamic. God said what's going to happen. Nonetheless, they cry to God, you know, God, what's going to happen? Well, I told you what's going to happen, but they're crying to God. But now, now notice, but they say to Moshe, what, are there no graves in Egypt? Now, you're going to hear this kind of claim time after time after time. Notice now is when it gets introduced. You know, why did you, why did you take us? So it's really interesting. They pray to God for help, but they blame Moshe for the problem that they're in. So go try to be, go try to be a rabbi, right? <laughs> Why did you take us out? So again, I'm going to say, I'm looking for this divine content in terms of, again, God consciousness, whereby to God they pray and to Moshe they complain. It's not necessarily always going to be this way. Didn't we tell you, leave us alone and let us stay? 
and now we're just going to end up dying in the desert. It would have been better to stay there. Yud Gimel v'yomo shalam al tirau. Don't be afraid. God is going to save us. So I'm going to say it again. The God content, the God consciousness is what to keep your eye on. And the same, Hashem yilachem lachem v'atem tacharishun. God is going to fight and you guys be quiet. You know, see, God is going, why do I even need to cry out? I told them what's going on. Which means if there's any kind of consciousness as far as, you know, believing in the word of God, then all of this should have been really quite clear even before this. Nonetheless, God tells Moshe to lift up the staff, and he he nini machziket leiv parov v'yavoach harayim, and again telling him what's going to happen. Bechabda parov v'cholchelov v'birchavov harashav v'yedu mitzrayim kini Hashem, and they're going to know, and so on. And then we get the whole point leading up to the splitting of the sea, and finally when they're stuck in the middle, the Egyptians do say in Pasuk Kafe v'yom mitzrayim anusam bnei Yisrael ki Hashem nilcham lahem b'mitzrayim. It's God who's fighting. So again, this God consciousness does seep in. Um, the Egyptians are then swallowed by the water. So you, now, I hope you realize how this is actually like a healing part for what we had seen in the beginning, complaining on the one hand to you know, praying to God and saying, you know, what we're in great distress where they should not necessarily have felt that because God shared with them the plan. And on the other hand, complaining to Moshe, why do you take us out? And now we have to this point of belief. Now, the most important word in all of this is ve'aminu. So notice that. Don't, don't, don't lose the ve'aminu because that's also going to be something that we need. Because as I said, the God consciousness is what concerns me. Belief is actually far more important. Then we move to the whole shira. We're not going to read the whole shira. But I do want you to notice to what extent there are future considerations over here. Other nations are going to hear about this. The other nations are going to be afraid. The, we are going to build a temple on the mountain of God, which means the which is really interesting because you're going to serve God on this mountain, which is in, in the, but you're going to go into the land of Israel. So over here again, Uz El Kadshecha to the holy mountain, and that's where all the all the nations are afraid, or Pachad Gadol, and so on. Yidmuka Aven, a rock, rocks will come back as well. Again, total focus on a building of the Beit HaMikdash. All, all of you who have, you know, you, you, you they got to you at some point by saying, no, the Mishkan is only the idea that after the Chet Egel, well, just notice something over here. This is totally Mikdash-oriented at the moment of the splitting of the sea. Their response to this is, oh, we need to build a house of God. That, that, that's what we need to do. You know, in a similar sense, you have Yaakov waking up from his dream, seeing the ladder, and he says, I need to be, build something, which, by the way, is also important as, a, as a, um, an earlier example where we find somebody saying, oh, we need to build something. Over here, there's this revelation taking place, the splitting of the sea, or more importantly, sometimes the unsplitting of the sea. That's actually far more important. 
at that moment realizing realizing the involvement of God and there, and therefore their response is I need to build up we need to serve God so as much as so far we had God saying to Moshe there's a dual destination one you have to get to the land of Israel and two you're going to have to get to Sinai and you're going to serve God on this mountain the people seem to have internalized this idea of serving God we need to build the Mishkan although I'm going to say it again now as of this moment what exactly is their knowledge of what their requirements are which means, what, is the, what, what are the terms of this contract? What exactly do we need? Yeah, they heard about Korban Pesach. They heard about, they, they've presumably heard about seven days. You know, you don't need chametz and so on. Okay, that, that, that part they've heard. But what else are going to be the, the rules of engagement in terms of this religion? All of that, as of this moment, is not necessarily known. We then move over, actually, I want to note something from the very end of that section. In Pasukaf Aleph, right? Pasukaf Bet, okay, Miriam takes her uh, her tambourine that we discussed last year a bit, and then finally Pasukaf Bet. Now I'm not going to say that what I'm about to say is precise, but from the very beginning they're supposed to travel three days and serve God, and now they've traveled three days, and what happens is that and they complain. Which means right now, instead of the religious experience, what they're happening is lo matzumayim. And they come to a place called Mara, and, and, the, and the water is bitter. The water is mar. I'll say for those of you who like Gematria, which will only be David, then uh, mar, 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 mar is bitter. Mar in Gematria is Amalek. You're doing the math, actually? <laughs> no, I, saw, I, I saw you tapping your foot, so I thought, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> It's 240. Yeah, so it, it, it is interesting that we have some kind of a misstep taking place over here with something bitter. And at the end of the parasha, though, again, I'm sorry if I'm ruining this for you. So this is like a spoiler alert. At the end of the parasha, we're going to meet into, with a Amalek. And um, that itself to me is, is, is really quite intriguing. because, oh, And that's also going to somehow be connected with water if you, if you don't notice it. So they, they don't have water and they complain. And then you have the following. And they say to Moshe, Manishte. Again, they don't turn to God at this point. That's constantly going to be my concern when they turn to God, when they turn to Moshe. And now you realize if Mar is the problem, then Matok is the solution. So it is interesting that the, this ability to sweeten, and, but then the end of, the, not now, the end, you get to go home and do all this. And some of these gematria you can only do on Purim. So, and sham samlo choko mishpat visham nisahu. And that is the part which is then completely surprising. Because what does chok and what does mishpat have to do with any of this? How did we somehow get, and I'm going to say it again, Derech Eretz Mushtim is the quicker way. You go straight up the coast, you go to Israel, you have the, all the water flowing towards the sea, you have some fresh water, you have the fish, you have all kinds of, you know, you have a nice walk up the beach. Who doesn't like a stroll on the beach? And instead, we have to take that other path. And the other path is to go towards the desert, but we have to come back and serve God on this mountain. And what's going to happen is that we know that serving God on this mountain is going to include the receiving of the Torah. And again, there's no hint to that to this point. And right now, we suddenly find Visham Sam Lachok Mishpat. Suddenly, Law, which is a really broad, generic expression 
of Judaism do what's right in the eyes of God. Again, we don't know the details necessarily yet, and that's why we still need Torah. Tasevazante le mitzvotav. Now notice, suddenly mitzvot get added over here. Those of you who are troubled, why v'sham sam lechok mishpat, that he gave him some laws at this point, why do you have to say that? Well, vazante le mitzvotav, v'shamartet chukav, and so on. Which is why some say, ah, it must have been already para aduma there. Why? Because there's chukav. Why does it have to be other laws mitzvotav? There, there are things which are mentioned in the next verse. So something was shared with them by this point. When we continue now in the next chapter, the entire next chapter is going to be fascinating in the sense that the people are going to have needs, real needs, and I'm going to again just be interested. So what do they do with these needs? So they complain. That's what they do. We get to the one-month mark. By the way, for some of you, this is going to one day be Pesach Sheni. They get to the one-month mark, and they run out of matzah. So therefore, the minag on Pesach Sheni should be to not eat matzah, right? <laughs> just just p- pointing out the really obvious over here, because they have no matzah at, the, at this point. They, they, they've run out of the supplies that they brought with them. And they and they start to complain. Vayomru. Now, who are they complaining to? Miyitain mutainu biyad Hashem. So it's interesting that we should die in the hands of God. So I'm saying God is still here. In they're complaining, but they're complaining that they should die in God's hand. Be'eretz and Tzrayim, and and so on, right? And not to die over here. So again, God is in the complaint. Vayomar Shema Moshe. Hininam tirlem lechem in Hashemayim. Right? I'm going to give them instead bread coming from heaven. And then we realize this other thing that Rashi made mention to is that by Paraduma they got they got Shabbat and they got Kibbutz of Aim and they got Paraduma. So so right over here, right by the man, and I'm going to give them bread from heaven. Will they follow the Torah which I've taught them? And you're going to say, what Torah? What are you talking about? We haven't received anything yet. And that's why Vasham Sam Mishpat, and therefore are you going to follow the laws? And that's why there's this very strong suspicion that they've received Shabbat already. And what happens next is this most phenomenal educational approach by God. The people have a real need. What's the real need? The real need is for food. And what does God teach them? He teaches them about Shabbat. He teaches them about sustainability. He teaches them about all kinds of interesting things. And you all realize that God could have just given them any food in any way that they needed. I want to go back to this comparison. Had they gone up Derech Eretz Plishtim, then by this point already they'd be in Israel, and maybe they'd even start their careers in agriculture, and they would have to start farming. And the farmer really does have to understand that God is going to be their partner. Part of what's really interesting is in a couple of verses when it describes the man, one of the words that will be used is a word which is used later on, and it's a complete giveaway once you realize what word is used. And just give me a second, because I, I do want to uh, point at it, because it, it, it's only said kind of in passing. Take a look towards the very bottom over here. It's not the first time right now that I'm pointing at it, but it, it's Pasuk Lamed Bet. So the word is the Omer. And Omer will later, if I would have asked you, okay, where is it, what is the Omer? And you would say, oh, the Omer is this, actually it's agricultural. I had to make fun of some students yesterday. I, I didn't have to, but it was educational. No, I asked them, you know, what is the idea of the counting? What are you counting from what to what? And they can't help 
to say we're counting leaving Egypt to get to Har Sinai, mm-hmm. and I said, well, that's very nice, but whoever, but, but it doesn't say that. I mean, you're counting from the Korban Omer, ki tavawalar, it's when you come into the land and you're going to bring the Korban Omer and then you're counting until the Bikurim. And by the way, the continuation of that Tvar Torah is there's no mitzvot on, on Chag Shavuot. Right? Pesach has mitzvot, Sukkot has mitzvot, Pesach has Shavuot, there's no mitzvot. Have you actually read the Torah? Have, have, have you actually, you know, you missed a whole, you know, Mesechta at least in Bikurim, which means the, the Shtehala, I mean, the, the, they're, there are various things that are connected to this holiday. The problem is that the holiday is largely agricultural, but that's really interesting, is that between Pesach and Shavuot is the Omer. We're right now, right there between Pesach and Shavuot, and the Mun gets introduced. And how much is this now supposed to give us some kind, if you want, we can call this inter, intertextuality again, but it, it, it is something that you at least have to pay attention to, that the permanent mitzvah which will take place in the land of Israel, to what extension should that be? a reminder to what took place over here. And now, just now, when I said reminder, now look what it says at the very end. Oh, yeah, and by the, and by the way, and by the way, make a reminder. Make a time capsule and take some of the money and put it away in a time capsule. So now, I skipped one thing over here along the way, I didn't, or I didn't say clear enough. But there was something else along the way, and that is that the Mun teaches us Shabbat. The Mun teaches us Lechem Mishneh. The Mun teaches us that six days of the week, you have enough. And by the way, don't take for tomorrow. As I go back to sustainability, take what you need for today. You need for today. Don't hoard. Don't, don't, don't. More than you need. And on Shabbat, well, enough will come that will last you. Which also then is faith, that you're going to have what to eat in the morning. Which means Shabbat creates faith. Shabbat creates faith, you know, in terms of uh, that on other days you took extra, it goes bad. On this day, you take extra, it will be good. And uh, that means that the chulant won't spoil. That means, right, the chamin won't spoil. It's going to, it's going to be good the next day. The, I don't know if I ever told you this. I, I have a book at home on the chinuch. Chinuch banim, I don't remember exactly what they called it. It was written by a satmer chassid. And, uh, and at one point, there is a footnote that it says that he asked the satmer rebbe if, uh, you, from which point should be mechanech the children in terms of eating chamin, eating cholent? Is that one? And is that something that? And he says that absolutely because there are ikarei emuna involved in this. Now, the, the real pshat of ikarei emuna is uh, the Rambam will discuss the anti-Kararite perspective, where the Kararites believe that you couldn't have any fire going over Shabbat, and therefore, and therefore, by the way, there are. There is this idea that every Jew should eat something hot on Shabbat in, as an anti-Kararite expression. You say, I like cold food. No, you should eat something hot on Shabbat, even a cup of coffee, by the way, as an anti-Kararite expression that, you know, we believe that you can have things which are uh, left on on Shabbat. So that, that would be the simple understanding. On the other hand, if you think about it, making chamin is, is, is an expression of belief. Chillant is belief because you set everything up before Shabbat and then you leave it. You know, normal normal cooking is you pachka a little bit, you taste over here, you add a little this, you do over here. No, you just put it. So therefore, the chillant is an expression of emunah, and I always say that the chillant is a is a direct correlation to my wife's emunah, which is why it always comes out perfect, and it's never it's never been bad. And and I don't, I don't make the chillant. This is the one. This, it's one thing. It's it's one. No, it's one. It's one. It's one. It's one. It's one step. I haven't. I have not taken. Um, but then again, I think there's one more level of emuna, and that is that you eat it and go to sleep, and you believe in tchiat hametim, and <laughs> so therefore, so therefore, of course, of course, uh, you have to be mechanech the children at a young age.
And, and I wouldn't even get to Kishka yet, but yeah. <laughs> cooking is defined by you, by you doing the action. So if it wasn't cooked and you put it on, that would be the problem. Over here, you, something is being set in motion and it is doing it by itself. You're not doing it. You're not, even though you think you're cooking, you're not cooking. Okay, so I'm saying you, you, you need the definition of things. Yeah, my, my, my Yemenite daughter-in-law, the, I don't know if they ever saw Kishka before, but uh, when, they, when they got engaged, we, uh, Naomi actually made two, it was a Thursday night that we were making some kind of engagement party, so what are we going to serve? So he says, my son said, make, make, make chillant. Thursday night, make chillant. So she made two. One, one was vegetarian and one wasn't. Okay, one was proper and one wasn't, and but 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 uh, the, the, the Kishkin side, and I don't know if some of these people have ever seen a Kishka before, but uh, but I'll put it this way: by the Shabbat Chat, no, no, the opposite: by the Shabbat Chatan. Can you make that Kishka again? Can you make that chillant in the kish? They were going crazy on it. There was there was nothing left. Chillant indicates great faith, and uh, those of you who, the message of the man is really one of Shabbat. That's really what it is. Yes, it solves our problem. It, it is one of Shabbat. And now you can, if you want to work harder again, you need to get towards that kind of Dvar Torah. Now you can think about, again, the Omer over here and the Omer by Shavuot, and that's Sheva Shabbatot. But over here, it's Shabbat. That's what it's about. It's about the time between, right, that's what introduced one month after leaving Egypt. Again, Pesach Sheni. We start with the Omer, as it were. And again, all, all of this, is interesting, but it's about the belief. And when they go out, Pasuk I mean, that's exactly what God said, is that there is a Shabbat. When did God say this? So apparently, they really did learn about this. So, and then finally, Pasuk Lamed, right, uh, or if you want... Again, it's about Torah. They're not at Har Sinai yet. But Torah is being introduced on some level. Unless you look in Rashi. But the very end over here, which I, I already introduced before, is, is this idea that of the future you're going to make this time capsule. And then it ends, And then like this, just like, thing, yeah. so the Omer, as I said, is here in, in various places. And the 40 years is completely perplexing because when it said, we're going to go Derek Eretz Pushtin, and now you say, no, how long, you know, what are the implications? So now you have these 40 years thrown into it as well. Okay, next. We get to source number six, which is now Parak Zayin, which is good because it's the last Parak in the Parsha. It's relatively short, and two things happen. Once, once again, we have problems in terms of water. Again, God is guiding them. God leads them. And they camp in Rifidim. And again, there's no water. Now notice again, they, they quarrel with Moshe. And Moshe brings it up, you know, God is in charge. So again, the God consciousness is important, and how God is trying to educate them is important, and to what extent the people are taking it is interesting. Let's continue. They complained. 
Again, they blame Moshe for taking them out. So now again, Moshe now turns to God. And soon they're going to stone me. And that's really interesting. I'm going to say for, for an obvious reason, because Moshe's death will end up taking place because of Iraq. And the death of Moshe is not going to be so much different from this. And not only that, and this is going to be the worst part of all of this, I said from the very beginning that once we're going to go on this other path, there are going to be other implications of it. There's going to be collateral damage. One of the parts of collateral damage is going to be Moshe himself. And part of Moshe's death is, or not part, the setup for Moshe's death is going to take place right here. So again, take the stick. Now some of you know there's another story coming up, which will be very similar. Take the stick and go. And here suddenly, Chorev got thrown into this. And this is where the burning bush took place. And this is where Harsinai is. And if there be Rafidim, what are they doing by Chorev? And what is the distance between one and the other? And over here, and over here, what we have is that it actually sounds vihikita batsur. Which which rock are you hitting? Where's the water flowing from? Anybody who ever says to you, "Ain ma'im el Torah," so where does Torah take place? Torah takes place. By the way, the source for "Ain ma'im el Torah" is actually by Mara v'sham sam mishpat. That means that they got water, but they were thirsty. What are they thirsty for? They're actually thirsty for Torah. But over here, you notice now they get to Chorev, and they get to Chorev, and this is the same thing. They need water, they want water, they're thirsty, and they complain, and what's going to be? And over here, I, I just want to read Pasuk Vav again. By the way, this is a revelation at Sinai. And especially when they left, when God says to Moshe, you're going to serve God on this mountain. So they come back to this mountain. The micro was the burning bush and seeing a revelation. The macro is now seeing a revelation taking place. And again, everything is good except for the things that aren't good. They see this. How they quarreled and they tested God. And that's, that's the worst pasuk in this whole thing. Because now you realize that they were yelling at Moshe because really they've, they've lost their belief by this point. Which means going a little bit without water has caused them now to say, is God, does God exist? Which is really you know, difficult because you would say, hold it, guys. Remember the Makot? <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you remember the splitting of the sea? It wasn't all that long ago. And essentially what it comes down to, what have you done for us lately? That's what it comes down for. And, uh, and right here, there is this really frightening part. Now, that leads directly into Vayavo Amalek. Yes, Amalek and Bitter and Mar and so on. And they, they fight with the Jews. So the battle of Amalek takes place. Moshe is going to go up on the mountain. And over here it's going to say, Right? And they're going to go and help them. Help Moshe. 
So now the word emuna, I think, is quite important because I said before, we were at Vayamina Bashem Moshevdo, and now you're at this point that they have to hold up Moshe's hands in emuna, and then Vayachlosh Yoshua et Amalek, he weakens them, Vayamalef Necharev, Vayomashem Moshek Tov Zod Zikaron Besefer. So now we have another for the future. Let's to remember this. Vesimba Bezne Yoshua. And this is something that Yoshua will need to process. Kimachom Chet Zechamalek. So now, a, a couple of things. You, you do see that I have a bunch of things for you. Almost all the sources, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, all of these are trying to figure out what in the world this has to do with Chorev. How did Sinai get into the story? And by the way, the best part of it, it got into the story and none of you remembered it. And, uh, and, he's, and, and, it's, like, and, it's, and it's like a shock. Like, like it wasn't there last year, right? It's one of the, it was not there. Uh, it, like somebody snuck in and made an inter- interpolation into the texts, threw something in which obviously was not there in the past. Like the 40 years wasn't there in the past. This wasn't there before. And it, it's, again, the things that our mind get, we get, and other things that don't. And, and that, and, and again, if you look at the Mechilta, no, we're not going to do the Mechilta. Even the Mechilta is great. We're going to save it for some other time. The man is an educational tool, which leads me to Rashi in source number 12, because that's the one which is frightening. V'simvaz ne Yoshua, hamachnisat Yisrael aretz, shitzivad Yisrael she l'shalem lo'od gmulo, kan nirmaz lo l'moshe she Yeshua machnisat Yisrael aretz. Here Moshe already essentially got the message, um, you know, you're part of the collateral damage. 40 years is going to go by. Which means the, these these elements along the way, from the very beginning, we're taking the longer route, there's going to be collateral damage. Um, put the mun away as a memory for the future. 40 years they eat it. Again, that, that, that is so jarring to be told this at this point because we have no idea about this yet. And then we finally get... And by the way, those who argue that you know there's no such thing as Mukdamu Mukhar, obvious, I mean, nobody argues that point. They only argue if you can say it when it doesn't say it. Over here, when it says it, so obviously this is what was said to Moshe when he wrote the Torah later on. And, you know, just imagine now, Moshe not writing it and God telling him the Torah at the end of the 40 years saying, oh, you mean that right then? <laughs> Which means you go back in your life, you say, so, so where was the misstep and what happened over here? As much as it may be about Moshe, maybe it isn't. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But again, a couple more points. Over here already, Rashi points out the obvious. Go tell Yehoshua when he finishes this. Now again, you didn't have to go that far. You can just say that Yeshua is the general. And as the general, he fought one time, he'll fight the next time. Therefore, Rashi's really interesting by saying, no, no, Yeshua is the one who needs to have the memory. You, this is Yeshua's job already. Moshe, you're stepping off the stage. And then you have to ask yourself, in terms of Source 13, which is the middle of Bamidbar, by the way, Chodesh Rishon is, of course, the month, right? Chodesh Rishon is, is Nisan, the month of Pesach. Miriam dies. So again, Miriam was like one of the stars over here with the splitting of the sea. And the, the last thing immediately before the first problem with the, with the, with the water by Mara was actually Miriam and the tambourines and so on. And then we got to that first problem. And then by the end of the parasha, we got to this other problem with water. Now, Miriam dies. And now you have to wonder to what extent this is connected. Right? And only died a notice very important in front of God. And again, blaming Moshe. Why? But 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 by the way, there's more God consciousness in this complaint than there was by Mar- than there was before. 
at the end of the, at the end of the parsha, it was there. It was by Bashalach. It was is God with us or not? And over here, their questioning is, you know, had we died in front of God, and and why did you bring Kal Hashem? And again, why are we in this place and not in Eretz Israel? And at that point, God becomes involved. Here, God says, take the mate, gather the people. So again, you have to ask yourselves, to what extent is this designed to be similar, you know, to that previous case, and even more than that, you know, you know the most important part. In the previous episode, Moshe was told to take the rock and to take this, take this staff and to hit the rock, and over here he's just told to take the staff, and there's a setup over here. The setup is, is, but we already know Moshe's not going to continue. And we already know Moshe's not going to continue because of this other episode. And now you just have to ask yourselves, okay, so is Moshe really not going to continue because he hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock? Or does God create that episode in, because of the things that we've seen over here? And by the way, if you're not convinced about the, about the connection, right after that episode, as Amalek comes in, right after this episode, we go and we meet up with Edom. Which means I'm saying that there, there, there is a, a more profound similarity. But over here, God says, God says, take the rock, t- take the staff, speak to the rock. And the thing that Moshe does or doesn't do, which I think is important, is in Pesach By the way, he takes, the staff was also, by the way, at this point, put away in the time capsule. So the, 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 those are the things in the time capsule. Was the man and was the was the man? What else? What did I skip along the way? In our time capsule, was the man was the idea against about Amalek, and now was finding the staff. Now take the staff from the time capsule, come back, and now you're going. Well, what are you can do with it? No, but it's about the it's about this future perspective. It's about this idea that uh, the forty years are a little bit more interesting. But what Moshe does is he doesn't mention God at all. I, I, and, I, and I think that that's really what's important over here. Yeah. Over here, what it says is, which we all think is the bigger part, but it's the possible before. If the whole purpose over here is to create the God consciousness when there's limited faith, then how do you create the God consciousness? And then you read the next pasuk where God says to him, You didn't create the God consciousness in the way that is needed to be done. Which means if we're going to go back, and, and again, I, I'm not tying this up and making this as pretty as it needed. I'm leaving you a couple things to, to really think about. But the first thing, which I, I really hope is obvious, is that you should not be reading this episode of the end of the 40 years without Parshat B'Shalach, which talks about the end of the 40 years. You shouldn't be thinking about this talk to the rock, hit the rock episode without the other episodes, because these things are obviously connected. You shouldn't note that reference that Yeshua is going to be the one to continue on, because there's going to be collateral damage and Moshe's not going on without reading this one, where God is saying no. And, and I said there's one other issue, and that is the Emunah. And that is Vaminu B'Hashem Moshevdo, and then afterwards we find a lack of belief. You find a lack of belief. Is God with us or not? And then Amalek comes. And then Moshe's hands bring the Emunah. And the fact that all of this is at Sinai, where there's supposed to be a revelation of God, and mitzvot have been thrown in all along the way, 
which again is very interesting because, you know, obviously there's more than one way to educate. One way is this massive uh, explosion at Harsinai, which is probably incredibly overwhelming, but that's for next week. And then you have this, okay, let me give you mitzvot along the way that you can then process and internalize, and then they become naturally, become understanding, and that should instill within them emunah. And, and, and now I'm going to say again something which I've said so many times. How in the world do you wake up in the morning, eat mun for breakfast, imagine that it's waffles with ice cream and maple syrup, even from Canada, if that makes you happy, and, and Vermont, and then, and then you say, hold it, does God exist or not? Which means, how does that disconnect take place and that's the problem with emunah, is that, you know, what have you done first lately? And it could even be a couple of hours since you've done this last. And that's where this mirirut, that's where this mar, that's where this amalek creeps in, and that's amalek, and gematria safek, and so on. But the opposite is emunah, which means there was a quicker path. That's not the path that has to take place. And by the way, there's one more thing that we have to really get to. I think when I raised the question in the beginning, and we're going to end with this, in case you're nervous, we're going to end with this, that I think when I spoke about the beginning, that there are two paths. What we're thinking about mostly is the destination. There's two ways of getting to the destination without realizing that there's also, it's not just the destination. By the way, this is probably one of the most important lessons in life. I'm sorry for getting... Uh, it's, it's not just the destination. It's the process along the way. It's the path that's taken. It's what happens along the way when you get there. Which means it wasn't... A, getting to Israel is the destination. It's not just as a quicker path. It's, it's what are we going to learn along the way as we, as we travel. Which means that Am Yisrael needed to learn things that are going to take place over the 40 years. And they needed those 40 years. And they needed to get this infusion of emunah. And they needed to have the mun every day because they're not ready, not just ready to, they're not ready to be the farmers yet. They're not ready to fight for the land yet. They're not ready to do many, many things that they're going to need to do, which means there's a process. So it's not just about the destination. And, and maybe sometimes in, in life we spend too much time about thinking where, we're going, where we need to get to without pausing along the way and saying, okay, what am I learning from each step that I'm taking over here? How am I changed? Well, again, I'm not saying to overly you know, dramatize this, but over here you now realize that's what God is doing. God is taking them on a path because there are things they need to learn along the way. And what we didn't realize perhaps in the beginning, and I, I gave enough hints about it, and that is that Moshe Rabbeinu is going to be part of this collateral damage and Moshe is not going to continue in. And uh, maybe a day in Moshe or too much emunah and maybe having a Moshe that can just lift his hands and pray and everything now makes sense and everything is clear is not the way that we're going to live our lives in Eretz Yisrael. In Eretz Yisrael we need to have a a natural process which will be divine inf- divinely infused. And maybe the message of getting that is the man is going to get us there, that we need to know that what we're eating now, just like we had the lechem in Hashemayim, where again you made the bracha most likely, hamotzi lechem in Hashemayim, now we realize ultimately all the food we eat is min Hashemayim. And everything, everything we eat, we need to say Baruch Hashem and thank God for giving us what we have. But there needs to be emunah in everything that we do, and that's not an easy path to take. And maybe having a Moshe there, who you can easily blame for everything which is good and everything which is bad, and along the way, maybe that makes it more difficult for us to have this relationship. And it's very, very frightening. But as I said, from the very beginning of the parsha, if you knew how to read between the lines and you knew 
that we're not going this way, we're going that way, there's going to be a great deal of collateral damage. And now if you read the rest of the parasha very carefully, you realize what that collateral damage is. And I'll say it more clearly than I said it before. There's a setup over here. When God tells him over here, take the, take the staff and hit the rock, and then he take, tells him there, now take the staff and go talk to the rock. The setup was what happened over here, that Moshe could have made this little mistake. And yes, this little mistake, you realize that, that it was all set up because of this, which means Moshe's death takes place because of this week's parasha. Yes, it gets played out there, but it takes place because of this parasha. But how surprising is this? Because this whole parasha is about the future. So therefore, if you want the, the title on the bottle, it is about future considerations. Back. Back. Back to the future.